All right, if you'll take your Bible and join me there in Ephesians chapter 6. Pray for my iPad battery. It just has my notes, but man, this thing, this is how it works, you know. I know this is how you know Apple's about to come out with a new one. Because all of a sudden that battery life is like, ooh, I can't hang. Well, all right. But uh, Ephesians chapter 6, a lot of practical discussion I want to have with you tonight because I think a lot of times when this passage of Scripture is presented, it's very surface level. You know, the, the words we're focusing on tonight, truth, righteousness, and preparation. And it's not just that you should know the truth, you should live in your righteousness, and you should share the gospel. That's all surface level stuff. Not bad, but we can go deeper than that. And the only way you go deeper in these types of things is by application and cross-referencing, which is some of my favorite stuff to do. There's a great tool out there. It's not always accurate, but study Bibles. We have a Schofield study Bible, and that's what I kind of grew up on. And in the middle there, you've got this center column, and in the actual text, you see these small italicized words, and you are supposed to go into the margin, and it'll usually give you a word definition from the Greek. It'll give you a first mention of this idea in the Scripture, and then the last mention of it in Scripture. And the idea is you go all the way to the first reference, then you go to the cross-reference there, and you'll find the second one. The third one, you go all the way from Genesis to Revelation. All that is great, but what you want to try and cross-reference is, how can I take these things, this Scripture, and get a hold on it, and then do what it says? And that is what I want to do tonight, especially with these three words. Of course, preparation of the gospel, but truth, righteousness, and preparation of the gospel, these are three of the pieces of the armor of God that we should be putting on. We're going to see the importance of this. We talked last week about why we're doing all of this. For what purpose? Just as a reminder, look at what it says in verse 11. Put on, excuse me, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles, the attacks of the devil. Verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. So we have other places in Scripture where we're instructed to run. You know, we're supposed to run our race with patience. But in this description of the Christian life, we're standing pat. We are in defense. We are established. And that establishment is employing these areas in our lives. There's a lot of mysticism in Christianity today. There's a lot of emotionalism in Christianity today. That tells us if you feel good, then you're doing good. We know that that is not always true. But that's how a lot of people understand their Christian lives. If people like me, and I'm feeling loved, then I must be doing what God wants me to do, because God loves me. But we can, can we deceive ourselves in that way? Absolutely. Lot vexed his righteous soul every day that he was in Sodom and Gomorrah. And look how patient God was with him. But how much damage did he do? To his testimony here on earth. I mean, a lot of damage was done. But I want to focus on these three things. The first one, the first two are found there in verse 14. We'll read verse 14 here. It says, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth 
and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now you can kind of see up here on the screen, loins girt about with the truth. A lot of people think that is like the protection of the legs, so to speak. Obviously you have some very large arteries there. You cut somebody in the back of their leg and you cut that main artery. It's not going to be long before they're down on the ground and they're neutralized. But this is more of the idea of the belt by which everything is hooked onto to protect the rest of you. In Paul's time, and in our time too, you know, we're not usually like wearing a belt around the house, but if something happened, the idea would be that you could pick up your robe quickly, secure it with a belt so that you're ready to move and act and do. I see this with my daughter because she's learning how to crawl. Let me rephrase that. She is crawling everywhere, and literally now, I get it. I turn my head, and she's gone for the outlet. That's her thing right now. Loves cords, love outlets, you know. All the expensive toys, that's nice. What's this in the wall? I want that, <laughs> you know. But the other day, she was in the nursery. She had her little dress on, and, you know, that's not conducive to crawling. She would get her knees going and stuff, and then the dress would pull, and then bloop. And the dress would pull again, and bloop. And she doesn't know how to move that so that she can move faster. But when she doesn't have a dress on and she just has you know, maybe just her diaper or just some pants on, boy, she's moving quick. She's ready to act. And she's doing all of it very quickly. It's the same thing in our Christian life. I think a lot of us have this baggage around ourselves. And when we have to do something for God, we get tripped up on it. And all of a sudden, we're not prepared. Can we live in truth? Yes. Can we live in a lie? Yes. Absolutely. And the, the attacks of the devil are not scheduled, folks. You're not getting a calendar for next year. Prepare for this day and this day and this day. He's, it's going to happen at all times, at any time. But you prepare yourself mentally by this girding up of your loins. This is the idea of this belt, and you can kind of see it there. It's knotted on the uh, illustration here, but this is not technically Roman armor. The Roman armor had a belt that was very large and it had a notch on the front where the breastplate sat. So the shoulders would hold a large majority of the weight, but the breastplate was secured here at the belt. And so if the person has their loins girt about with truth, that breastplate covers the front section and the back section. But if you don't have that belt, you're going to be bearing a lot of weight, what? On your shoulders, which is going to limit your what? your mobility. So you look like you're ready, but you're not ready. And I see a lot of parallels in immature Christians in this passage here. They look ready, but when the attacks actually come, they fold. And the reason why they're folding is because they don't have the proper equipment. So this belt, this girding about of, of the loins, is compared to, look at what it's compared to. You have a physical and then you have a spiritual. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with linen, leather, a metal buckle, a secure clasp. Is that what it says? No, he's not, he's not talking about have a physical belt. He's saying with what? Truth. And if you can just look at where we are today, this is the determining factor between your success and your failure. Are you rooted in spiritual truth? Look at the damage that's done today with just people identifying however they want to identify. Long time ago, we said love is tolerance. 
And therefore, if you love somebody, you're going to tolerate their behavior. Look where we are. Look where we are. You know, I think it's crazy that there are these, these protests and demonstrations happening on college campuses for the destruction of Israel. I don't know much, but that sounds real Nazi-like. And I think it's oddly striking that the people who call freedom the Nazi regime are actually doing the work that the Nazis tried to do. What, what is that problem? Why are they that way? They're not uh, rooted and grounded in truth. They're rooted and grounded in somebody else's version of the truth. I heard an interview where a college student, when asked about the atrocities that happened on October 7th with that invasion in South Israel, said this, Hamas did what needed to be done. This is a college student. They, They can't be much older than 23, 24 years old. How do they come to that conclusion? They're believing the lies. And that is the same type of attitude that Nazi Germany had. And they actually believed they were doing what was necessary with the Holocaust. And it's, it's, it's just crazy that we're here. How do we get there? Because people believe the lie over the truth. So you, as a Christian, you need to have your loins girt about with truth, not with the lie. Take a look in 1 Peter chapter 1 with me for a moment. <clears throat> There's another reference to this breast... Um, uh, excuse me, the girding up of the loins. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. In verses 10 through 12, he talks about the progressive revelation of Scripture, the role of the prophets to the revelation of Christ now, the sufferings that he was going to go through. It's revealed unto this time, this dispensation, certain things. But in verse 13, he says this, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind which is exactly what our minds should be soaked in, which is what Paul has already said in Ephesians 6, the truth. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You're not working for the next day. You're not working for today. You're working for the endless day when we're with the Lord. That becomes a very powerful person as far as someone that's in the body of Christ, and it, he, he becomes a very dangerous person to the adversary because people begin to see the love of God through you. So 1 John 4 is all about, how we demonstrate the unseen God, how we demonstrate his love, how it was demonstrated first through Christ, and how we, as now his children and his followers, that's what you should logically do. After you trust Christ, you should be a disciple. Not everybody is, and that's unfortunate, But you get to that conclusion by demonstrating his love. So you've got this very important statement that is said here. The girding up of the loins of the mind, but look at the next instruction. Be sober. Now, we we understand sobriety in the idea of, you know, someone who is not drunk compared to someone who is drunk. And that's a good comparison. You don't want to live your Christian life like a drunkard. People get blackout drunk, that means they don't know what they've done. That's not how we should live our Christian lives. And sometimes people get dangerous when they're blackout drunk. And there are Christians who are living dangerous like that. And it's because they're not living in the truth of who they are. Look in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 9. 
Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 9. Warren, could you do me a favor and run to the printer and see if there's a copy of my notes on there? Yeah, my iPad just went from 10 to 5%, like that. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 9 says this, For the fruit, the product of the Spirit, is in all goodness and righteousness and what? Truth. So the product of the Spirit indwelling you is truth. Look in John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1. This is the conclusion here that I'm trying to get you to see and apply about this girding up of the loins of truth. Was it on there? That's good. That's good, as Freddie would say, right? <laughs> yes, thank you. I'm just shut this off. In first, excuse me, in John chapter one and verse fourteen, it says, "And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. We beheld this glory, or His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what grace and truth." Look in verse seventeen. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came. By Jesus Christ. So if the believer is instructed to gird their minds up with the truth, they're instructed to be sober in the way that they do this. And we see that Jesus Christ is truth. The logical conclusion is, fill your mind with the things of Jesus. Look at what he did and do likewise. Now I'm not saying you go out there and try to make, you know, food for five, 6,000 people out of limited supplies. But the principles, the teaching, the application that he taught, know them and do them. Well, I'm going back to this in John 15 about abide in me and I in you. And that abiding is by demonstrating love towards brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, we shouldn't just be selfless at church around the holidays. You should be selfless all the time. You should live selflessly. That's how Christ lived his life. He's our model, our example. If you stay rooted and grounded in him, you'll be so aware of the truth that when the lie comes about, you can say, I know what that is. That's a man who's prepared. That's somebody who's ready. Look at uh, chapter 14 and verse 6. You know this one. Many of you do. John 14, 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, follow me for a moment here. When you read the epistles, okay, the letters in the New Testament, remember that these are not the independent thoughts and ideas of men. I think of this especially with the Apostle Paul. Not to say the other ones are less, but with the Apostle Paul, because he teaches a lot of doctrine. Paul received those things. He tells us in Galatians, the things that he received, he didn't receive it from the apostles, nor at the instruction of men. He received them from Jesus Christ. And he talks about that regarding the gospel. But everything that you see in the Old Testament, excuse me, in the New Testament letters, these things are from the Lord. They're written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So when you read the life application stuff in First and Second Peter, and you read the doctrinal information in the book of Romans and First Corinthians and all of that, 
you understand this is what God is trying to communicate to me. So if you can think about girding your mind up in the truth, your best conclusion is, I've got to know the word. That's our primary defense. The breastplate of, of, of righteousness and the preparation of the gospel hang on your knowledge of the truth. That's why, I, if you can, you should seek to take classes, even if it's just a few classes here and there, just to keep yourself sharp and escalate your learning. You can learn a lot of stuff here from, from my teaching. You'll learn a lot more in a classroom setting. But that is putting away good things so that you can use them when the time comes. And this is how we stand against the attacks of the devil. So memorizing scripture is not a silly thing that you, oh, that's what I did when I was a kid. You should do that now. And you should continue to do that and grow. Not because, oh, look at me, I'm some great, strong Christian now. No, but because that's how I gird my loins with the truth. So when the lie comes in, I don't fall for it and let the enemy in in that gate, so to speak. I go back to Ephesians 6. <clears throat> God bless you, Tom. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14. That first part we talked about. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. That's that belt with the buckle, the clasp on it to hold this next piece. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, righteousness in two applications here. We can only be righteous because of our conversion. Our faith in Jesus Christ has brought about the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that. Philippians 3.9 tells us that. But there's also an instruction for us to live in righteous conduct. This is why we're, not, we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. So I want you to see that in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. The book of Titus is like a shotgun shell, man. It's only three chapters, but it is loaded with, st with stuff. It's really good. But look what it says here in verse 12 of Titus chapter 2. Teaching us, by the way, verse 11, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. The appearance of Jesus Christ and salvation through him teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly where and when in this present world. So there's an instruction for the believer not to just be satisfied with your salvation, although we do have satisfaction in that, but to let that permeate into the way that we live. Specifically, it, it should lead to the denial of ungodliness and worldly desires. Remember that word, lust, desires. And we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. For what reason? Look at 13 looking for that blessed hope. The day when we're hearing that trumpet, folks. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. This is a reminder. Why should you live soberly and righteously? Well, because God just demands it. Well, although he does, but he's also demonstrated it. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem from all 
uh, excuse me, redeem us from all iniquity, when is that going to happen? When we're with him in our glorified body. And purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. We're not only supposed to say these things and encourage these things, but when we don't see these things, we're supposed to say, why? Why are these things not happening? Now, people don't like that in church today. And I I can understand why that is, because our culture is very private. We all have this idea of our own American dream. But let me tell you, folks, a lot of times the American dream is in conflict with Christianity. We're supposed to give of ourselves. I'm not saying we don't have rights, but you, you do not have the right to live in wickedness. God will bring chastening against you, and it starts with the house. It starts with the people, the deacons, the elders, the pastor. We're not all supposed to be running around with whips out here and just beating everybody, but if we see something, we should say something. It's not love to allow a child to gorge themselves on sweets because that's what they want at the risk of their health. Can you imagine if children ate that way? They would kill themselves eventually. Their health would be so poor. What kind of parents would say, well, you know, I just want them to be happy. They're ruining their lives. So what kind of body in the body of Christ would say, that doesn't matter if you go out and live in sin. That doesn't matter. It does matter. That's why you put on this breastplate of righteousness. It protects you, the front side and your backside. It's available by our faith in Christ, and it is applied through our conduct. And then the last one here is Ephesians 6.15. Ephesians 6.15. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. A lot of times people look at this surface level, and I know, I know we're over time, but we did a lot of requests tonight. A lot of people look at this surface level and they go, oh, this is evangelism, go to the next verse. Now, Partly, yes. But I want you to see the gospel is the description. There's something specifically about the gospel here that we're supposed to apply. Look what it says. Your feet shod, covered, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's important. Why is that important? We know from Romans 10, verses 14 through 15, it says, Blessed are the feet of those that bring the gospel. Soul winning is important. Absolutely, we should do those things. But the way that you live through the preparation of the gospel is you live in the truth of the conclusion the gospel brings. What is that? You're eternally secured. If you are not secure, first of all, I heard this recently and I was like, yep, I'm going to use that. There's a difference between security and assurance. Security is guaranteed by God. Assurance is gained by the believer. Remember that. Security guaranteed by God. That's eternal life. That's what we're offered. When we, when we believe, we receive that eternal life. That's guaranteed by God. Assurance, though, is gained by the believer. How so? If the assurance of the believer is not there, it's because they're not aware. Because they're walking in darkness, and they're not walking in the light. I've had people that I've talked to on the phone You get to the conclusion, you come to find out they trusted Christ many years ago, but they're in false teaching. So they think they're lost again. Now, are they lost? No. Who has not forgotten them? God. 
He has guaranteed their security. But their assurance is gone. Why? Because they're not walking in truth. That's why. So the feet shod here with the preparation of the gospel of peace is you as the believer to stand against the attacks of the devil, which is going to throw your sin at you. He's going to throw commentaries at you. He's going to throw silly little radio programs that bait you in and now get you to question your salvation. You stand against those by knowing I am fully forgiven. When you, the, uh, the scripture says it in, in 1 John chapter 3, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than what we think. He stands above that. And the encouragement is, regardless of what we may come to believe about our, our, our position in Christ, we are eternally secured. That's what I think the point of this verse is. Although, yes, we are supposed to be ready to get the feet moving and share the gospel, but this is not talking about sharing the gospel primarily. It's talking about standing against the attacks of the devil. And the devil's going to get you to doubt, doubt, doubt. It's exactly what he did to Eve. Has God said? He's going to get you to say, are you really saved? Do you really know? What about this sin? What about that sin? What about this thing? Do you know you're really saved? That's the danger of all that false teaching, that backloads works. Yes, you're saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. Oh, blech. That only causes people to look to themselves as their savior and say, well, if I've done enough, then I've done enough. And it makes Christians useless, and the devil sweeps them off their feet. You know what's interesting about Roman um, shoes at this time, especially warriors, they were like cleats. I didn't realize this until recently, but they had spikes that were put in the ground so that they could secure their feet and be able to hold the line as the attacks come. They couldn't get easily pushed over. So it's just like the athlete wears special types of shoes to make sure they perform to their best ability. Boy, the gospel is not only something you start with. It pushes you through. It helps you stand against the attacks of the devil. And doesn't he attack us up here? He attacks us up here all the time. And people just, they fall for it. And it's, it's a sad thing. We're going to close in 2 Corinthians 5. Will you join me there for a moment? Ready to present the gospel, but also living through the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 18. Paul writes here, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself, by Jesus Christ, and have given to us, those who have believed, the ministry, the work of what? Reconciliation. The work of reconciliation, I believe, is bringing people to a point where they believe on Christ and that sin is paid for. It's reconciled now. To witness that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed to us the word of reconciliation, now then we are what? Ambassadors. That's an active role for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's deed, uh, Christ's dead, be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Who is the one that receives the grace of God in vain? It is the stale, unwilling, unfruitful Christian. 
You've received this gift of eternal life by faith, but you waste it. You waste the opportunity. You're not living through the gospel. You're still saved, but you miss out tremendously. And you also get used by the devil to keep people lost. How many times when you talk about Christianity do you hear the same old, same old stuff? You hear the stuff about Billy Graham, how people were faking their healings. You hear about Jimmy Swaggart, who went out and ran out on his marriage. All this stuff about Charles Stanley is great, but now you hear about his son denying the virgin birth. What happens with um, Robbie Zachariah? You remember him? And a few months after his death, the devil got a hold of that sin that he let in his life and just, I mean, instantly. I watched that collapse. It was like, wow. Wish I could tell you what Rabbi Zacharias believed about the gospel. I didn't hear much about it. But I'll tell you, all his Christian apologetics and defenses, not, not another one for the devil. When we live in sin, when we allow that sin to reign in our members, we are not being good ambassadors for Christ. We're not living to the truth of the gospel. And that's how we need to prepare ourselves. And if we're not doing those things, then you have to ask yourself, and you know, this is what I say in counseling sessions, and you know, people, we're all very good at making excuses, right? I think we can all agree to that. But people get upset when somebody asks, why have you made that excuse? And then people, you can close your Bibles. People just say the excuse again, and you go, okay, I hear the excuse, but why? And you got two, one of two options there. You can come to the truth and say, because I'm making the choice to do that. I'm making the choice to put something over my responsibility. Or you can blame the person that brings the truth to you. And say, why are you so nosy? Why are you holier than thou like you have no problems? I'm not up here saying I don't have any problems. I have plenty of problems. But I know what the solutions are. And I'm willing and I am putting those solutions into practice. That's where the growth is. I kind of cringe sometimes when, when I, I, I hear somebody <laughs> start to parrot something that is Calvinistic or it's a false gospel and they love it. They're all excited about it. And you go, Caleb, you probably know what I'm talking about. You go, I, who's going to be the one that pops that bubble? <laughs> but you realize the only reason why they're infatuated with false doctrine is because they're not strong. They're not strong. And they got nobody to blame but themselves there. This sounds harsh, but you can change that. You can change it. And it starts with the truth. We all think that Jesus says, you shall know the truth and it will set you free. It actually says, you will make you free. But it's important to recognize the principle in that statement is to know the truth about who he is. That's what leads to true freedom. You know what brings bondage? Sin. Not Christianity. Sin brings bondage. That's why Jesus died to pay for our sin. We were in bondage to it. But now we have life. And we have life abundantly. We can enjoy it. We don't have to be like, can't wait till I, have, uh, till I get to heaven to enjoy my eternal life. You can enjoy it right now. This hand represents you and me, and this block of sin represents sin. I put it on top of my hand because the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God, he loves us very much, hates this sin, separates us from him. You have to be perfect to get to heaven without any sin, past, present, or future. 
And you can see why the Bible correctly says, for all have sinned. The payment for this sin is death, eternal separation forever from God in a literal fire-burning hell. God loves us very much. So he did something to pay for this sin, but the devil gets in and makes us believe that we can work for it. If you go to church, if you give money, if you pray, all the, you live a good life, you'll be judged in the end according to your works, and your good will outweigh your bad. But the Bible says we're not saved by any works, lest any man should boast. So we have a problem. We may want to get saved earnestly and be ready to give of all of our time, talents, and treasures, but nothing will be able to put a dent in this payment. That's why Jesus Christ came and did what he did. So I'll let this hand represent Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. And what he did is he came down, lived that perfect life, and he laid down his life, shed his blood for you. And he says, if you simply believe on him, you will not perish, which means spend an eternity in hell. You'll have everlasting life. For God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his only begotten Son, that's Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's salvation. When you believe, you receive eternal life. Now, that's not the end, though. You got something guaranteed in the future, a new body, a home in heaven, all that. You get the Holy Spirit now. But now you have opportunity to give back. Opportunity to demonstrate God's love. But that choice is yours. It was mine. It's yours too. Has nothing to do with our salvation. Oh, well, I'm really serving, so I'm really saved. I'm just as saved as the unfaithful, disobedient believer. The difference is, I can be used by God while they cannot. I can stand against the walls of the devil, not in my own strength, but in the strength of God. That believer who's carnal, wicked, they're getting tossed around by the devil. But we are able to do these things because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen? And that's available to everybody, even to the people that have not yet believed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're here tonight, you're watching on the internet, and you say, Pastor, I, I just got saved. I, I understand what you're saying here, what the Bible says, and I've put my trust in the shed blood, and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would you pray for me? I certainly would. If you just leave us a comment wherever you're watching or send us an email, we'll reach out to you. I want to encourage those of you in the audience today that are standing strong to keep on standing strong. We need strong men and women in the faith. Remember who gives you that strength. We're connected to the vine. But for those of us tonight who may be we have the armor, but it's not properly put on. We're not living in the truth. or We're allowing the wickedness of our sinful nature to control us. Just come to a place tonight where you say, Lord, help me, and he'll help you. But you've got to let him lead, folks. So let him lead. Jesus should not be our co-pilot. He should be the pilot, Okay? Let him lead. If you need help, reach out. We're here for you. You do not have to suffer through these things. We're supposed to edify and build up one another. Father, thank you for tonight and all that you've given us. I pray for this opportunity.
on Saturday, and those who will also be grieving. And so we, we pray that the ministries here can gather around them, pray for ranch tomorrow and Friday night soul winning and the potluck and services on Sunday. In Jesus' name I pray these things.